Alrighty, so this is my first time teaching in person. So last time I taught, it was COVID lockdown, so I was talking to a phone. So just uh, bear with me as I adjust to speaking um, in this setting. So last week we had an awesome panel discussion and Chantel and Heather, thank you so much for leading us through examples in your life and what it means to put off the old, renew our mind and put on the new. And so as we begin chapter five, we're kind of gonna head in that theme as well, leaving the old behind and living as transformed children of God. And in chapter four and five, we are answering the question, how do we walk worthy? And in our text today, Paul uses this contrast of light and darkness to further elaborate on that, of what it means to live worthy of our calling. So the main thrust of this text is the call for believers to forsake darkness and walk as children of light. So you can see on the board, verse one to 14, I've titled forsake darkness. So in this section, we'll discover a description of the darkness and why we are to forsake it or abstain from it. And verse 15 to 21, I've titled Walk in the Light. And here is where we will learn how to walk as children of light by seeking wisdom and being filled with the Spirit. All right, so let's dive in. Once upon a time, there was a young beggar woman, orphaned at birth with no family she could rely on. She scrounged up food wherever she could, never knowing where she was going to sleep at night. She lived a harsh and sad existence until a messenger from the king came and invited her to the palace. Surprised and a bit skeptical, she traveled to the palace where she was welcomed with open arms. With a big smile on his face, the king informed her that she was his long lost relative, which meant she was royalty. She was immediately given a luxurious room, an extensive wardrobe, She joined the royal family for elaborate meals with more food than she'd seen in a lifetime. No more scraps of food, no more lonely nights. She was a member of the royal family. It was a dream come true, you'd think. But one night, the woman left the security and comfort of her cozy bed and went back to sleep on the streets until the sun rose. And then she snuck back into the palace before anyone noticed. This happened night after night until the pull from her old life was so strong and she didn't return. So if you're like me, that story leaves you perplexed. What? Like, why would the woman leave the security and identity and love given to her by her new family? She had a fairy tale ending. Instead, this ending is jarring because the one who had been given so much left the blessings and returns to the pathetic life she had before. And you may kind of know where I'm going with this story. The story is often a reflection of the life of a believer. When we have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, We are now daughters of the king, heirs of the kingdom of light. We are dearly loved. The blessings go on and on, and we go back to living in darkness. When we choose sin, we reject the king's rule, safety, and love. So we are easily tempted by darkness. Um, We all feel that strongly, I'm sure. So the first portion of our text today calls us to forsake the darkness from which we came. So what is the darkness we're supposed to forsake? So we see in our text that Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He gets right down to it, gives us a list. Sexual immorality, all impurity, and covetousness must have no place among the saints. So sexual immorality and impurity encompass all kinds of sexual sin, all sexual intercourse outside of the God-ordained context of a loving marriage. And this message is all over the New Testament, right? The incompatibility of sexual immorality and the kingdom of God. And this covetousness adds another dimension. It's the insatiable, insatiable desire to have more. 
One commentator explained it as lustful greediness. And this is not to be tolerated in the life of a believer. Down to the core, these sins are driven by lust, putting self-gratification at the center. Thus, the worship of the creature rather than the creator, which is idolatry, as it says in the text. And then verse 4 goes on um, beyond immorality to vulgarity, sinful speech. Let there be no filthiness, also described as obscene stories, no foolish talk, no crude joking, you know, the kind with suggestive overtones or double entendre. This refers to a dirty mind expressing itself in dirty conversation. And this speech should make us cringe and should not be present in the body of Christ. And as we've been learning, we're not so different from that Ephesian church. Our culture is saturated with sexual immorality and it's seeping into the church. We don't have to look far, magazines, movies, marketing, you can't escape it, it's everywhere. Sexual gratification is celebrated, right? Do what makes you happy, be with whomever makes you happy. And this is why Paul is extreme in his response. He wants the church to remember, let there be none of this conduct among the saints. And just in case we weren't convinced, Paul gives even more incentive. And we'll look now at verse 5 to 14, where Paul will lay out some intense reasons why we are to forsake darkness. And so the first is one of the questions that you're discussing is we forsake darkness because God's wrath will come upon the disobedient, jeopardizing our inheritance. Whew, yikes. <laughs> That's a big one. So what, what does this mean? Now, does this mean if anyone is sexual, immoral, or covets, they will lose their inheritance? Didn't we just learn earlier in Ephesians that we're saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit and have a guaranteed inheritance? So this is a picture in our text of a person who has given herself over without shame or repentance to this way of life. Those who, whose lust has become an idolatrous obsession will not share in the perfect kingdom of God. So for those who fall into such sins through their weakness, but repent in humility, and repent in humility, there is forgiveness. Praise God. But this isn't an excuse to sin. Opening the door to temptation with a thought that I can always repent later, it is dangerous. Sin is dangerous. It's like playing with fire. And it is easy, easy to get out of control, kind of like expo- uh, expanding into a forest fire, right? So the temptation to put the back on the old self in a pagan environment, it is so strong. Paul goes on to say, let no one deceive you. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sin. Don't listen to those who teach that God is too kind to condemn everybody, that our good outweighs our bad, that love will prevail. These are wrong and eternity is at stake. There's no fluff with Paul. He really wants the readers to know the sobering reality that persistent sinners have no inheritance in God's kingdom. And I don't know if you're like me, but I feel this urgent call to examine my life. Is there a persistent, is there persistent sexual immorality, covetousness, or vulgar speech in our lives? Are there extreme measures that we need to take to remove the darkness from our lives? Now, the good thing here is that Paul doesn't leave us in this spot. He's going to show us how to walk in the light later. So just hang on. I know this is heavy. We're going to move on to the hope that we have in this. So the second reason is to, fors- to forsake darkness is that we are now light. We have been transformed. We, are, we at one time, we're dar- darkness was our nature at one time. We were ignorant, dead in our trespasses, children of wrath, right? We've been learning in Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, changed our nature, bringing light into being. We are now children of light, so we should walk as children of light. 
our behavior must conform with our new identity. We see in verse 9 that we are to walk in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Continuing to make no exception for darkness, Paul gives a strong warning in verse 9 and 10 to not partner with darkness. And we discussed that as well in our, our group ahead of time. And this means not to join in with them, partnering to a point where your faith is compromised. So this begs a question, who are we hanging around with? Are we tempted to join in with their coarse joking? Is their conversation about tabloid and celebrities pulling us into darkness? Is there a certain show you watch with friends that celebrates sexual morality? And I want to clarify it. It doesn't mean that we stay in our little bubble and avoid contact with unbelievers or with, you know, with darkness. We need to be in the world, but not of it. So our light can point people to Christ, which leads us to our next point, our next reason to forsake darkness. We are to forsake darkness so that our light can shine, expose sin, pointing to Christ. So light naturally exposes, right? So how many of you, when you're doing gardening, you lift up a rock and reorganize, and there's all these bugs scurrying underneath trying to get away from the light? Or anyone has gotten dressed kind of in dim lighting, and then you walk out to the car and you're like, oh, I thought I was cleaner than I was. Um, darkness hides the ugly reality of evil, and light makes it visible. And we see that in verse 13. So when light exposes, evil is seen for what it really is. I found this part of the text a bit tricky to interpret, um, but after studying, I think verse 13 and 14 are telling us that when we live um, a life of goodness, truth, and righteousness, it will be so bright that we will naturally expose sin and others around us. So it, ha it has an evangelistic power. It, may be, it might bring people to conviction of their sin or to faith in Jesus. So a believer's light has two effects. So it it makes visible, you see in the text, which is like conviction, and it turns it to light, which is conversion. So the commentaries I read seem to agree with the second, that the second part of verse 14 is most likely a citation of a hymn sung by the early church. It's not a direct quote from anything in scripture, but it seems to summarize maybe Isaiah 61, 60 verse 1. But it, in, in essence, it's truly a poetic description of salvation when you look at it. A commentator summarized it this way. Oops. Um, conversion is nothing less than awakening out of sleep, rising from death and being brought out of darkness into the light of Christ. So it's important to live in light because our life exposes sin and points people to the light of Christ. And hopefully it awakens people from sleep or spiritual darkness and brings them to saving faith. So if we walk, walk in darkness, we are forfeiting the power the light can have. And I find that just a really good encouragement. So this leads us to the second part of our section of our text, which is verse 15 to 21. Walk as children of light. So since we have been made alive, Christ's light has shone in our hearts. We are children of light. Be careful how you live. So we naturally um, pay close attention or give careful attention to the things that matter to us, right? So our jobs, our hobbies, um, our family, our appearance. So we must treat this section or treat this as um, the serious thing that it is. The stakes are high. It's like when someone gets a heart transplant. When, you when they finally receive that heart, um, they are careful to um, analyze their life and make sure that they are living a lifestyle that is healthy, exercising, they're refraining from smoking or other 
um, damaging habits, right? So similarly, we need to steward the life that we have well. And we need to be intentional to live as children of light by walking not as unwise, but wise. So that's one of our first um, examples of what it means to walk as children of light and making the best use of the time, it says in verse 16. So the root word here is to redeem the time. So it gives a picture of this like shrewd merchant that's snatching up every opportunity to do good. And we need wisdom to be disciplined with our time. Since, especially since the days are evil, right? We don't have to look very far to, to see that, that sin is celebrated and people are following their own hearts. So we need wisdom to navigate the darkness or this dark world. And so then it also says walking in wisdom means seeking the will of the Lord, as we see in verse 17. So there is a lot that could be said about the will of the Lord. And I was like, oh, what exactly, you know, how much do we talk about here? But, and we could spend a whole lesson on that. But to keep it brief, I wanted to point out two things that I think are simple but profound. Um, we are to seek the will of the Lord, which means to search scripture and pursue God through prayer. So that is important. This is an active process. We need to be making that a priority. And the second is we are to seek whose will? The Lord's will. So not the will of insert name here. <coughs> Let that just sink in for a second. Like, how many times have we gone and done our own will without even a second to think about God's plan? Mm -hmm. So children of light humbly seek to understand the heart of God and submit to his will. So then Paul gives us another contrasting image. Drunkenness versus being filled with the Spirit. And the first thing I want to clarify about this command is that it's, uh, to be filled is an ongoing thing. It could be translated, be constantly filled with the Spirit. So this is in addition to the first time filling of the spirit that seals us for eternity. So what's Paul doing with this image? He's saying, just as you are under the influence of alcohol, when we are filled with the spirit, we are under the influence of him, under his power. When, uh, where alcohol is a depressant and leads to loss of control in one's judgment, under the Holy Spirit's influence, we gain clarity, direction, and self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. Instead of a substance addiction, we are to drink in so much of the spirit that we have this wonderful spirit dependency. Um, so it's actually a wonderful picture. I, I've often read that scripture. I was like, well, what's, what's that, what, what is that doing? But it's a beautiful contrast. And so Paul explains the marks of a spirit-filled life in verse 19 to 21. First, we see a musical joy, a heart that is caught up in the joy that <laughs> overflows in song. We see it in the Psalms, sing a new song to the Lord, uh, a joyful praise through singing and making melody. And I've, I've often heard it said that Christianity is the singing faith. And I think that's so beautiful. Um, the second mark of a spirit-filled life is universal gratitude. You see that there in the text, being grateful always for everything. And you know those people that are thankful and don't grumble. And that's just um, the spirit working in their lives. And the third is submission to one another. And this includes a humble love, a meekness, a gentleness, out of reverence to Christ who submitted, um, or who showed the ultimate act of submission unto death. So if you're like me, you've already started making a list, right? You're like, okay, I've got to be more joyful. I've got to be more grateful here. Um, but remember, this is an overflow of the Spirit. This only happens when we're filled. So how are we filled? 
So this is a, the, um, well, it's a passive voice in this text. So it's let the Holy Spirit fill you. So th- there isn't a formula to recite. It's simple repentance from what grieves the Holy Spirit so nothing hinders him from filling you. And then setting your mind on things of the Spirit, like you see in Romans 8, 5, which is actually directing your attention or devoting your time to the Scriptures. It's a really interesting study of how the Spirit and the Word are connected, intertwined constantly. And so um, there's a quote by Stott that says, there's no uh, greater secret of holiness than the infilling of him whose very nature and name are holy. She didn't catch that. Basically, if you want to be holy... You need the Holy Spirit. Like, we need Him. As, as I was studying, this to me was a light bulb moment. Pun intended. I was starting to feel the weight of all the things I need to stop doing and start doing. I needed to st- set up this habit. I need to pray for this heart change. Imitating God is hard. And when I got to this point, it really became clear. And it was just like a uh, weight had been lifted. We are children of light. We are not like flashlights walking around with some battery source, like in our own battery source, our own um, strength. We are to be like solar light, <laughs> soaking up the rays of the sun, S-O-N, and his word. And as we're charged with his spirit, we are able to be lights in the darkness. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the power in and of ourselves. And so we are to be filled with the spirit. And so to wrap up this incredible passage... As children of light, hear this urgent call to forsake darkness and walk in light. Eternity is at stake. Ours and those whom you have contact with. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember, we are to imitate God as dearly beloved children, and there's no darkness in him. We have been adopted into his royal family. We are that poor beggar that was welcomed into the palace Given all the blessings, don't turn away and live as you did before. Instead, with thanksgiving, let's live out of a secure identity as children of light. Remembering we are his masterpiece and we're made for good works. So let's walk in them. And as I was studying, um, I really feel the Spirit brought um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 to mind. And I think it sums up so well. For God, who said... Let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our power is from God and not from ourselves. So live these impossible ethics with the vast possibility and power of the Holy Spirit. So that's a quote from Kent Hughes. Let's hear it again. Live the impossible ethics by the vast possibility and power of the Holy Spirit. Ladies, let's heed the call to forsake darkness and to walk in the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for calling us out of darkness and welcoming us into the kingdom of light. As your beloved children, please help us walk in the good works that you have planned for us out of love and gratitude. Spirit, fill us. We need you. You know our hearts are prone to wander. Please help us walk as children of light so that we all might see your glory shining through our weak and fragile lives. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.